Well, good morning and welcome to all of you. And if you're watching or listening online, we're so glad you've joined us. Uh, wow. We're in the second week of Alter Ego. Are you enjoying it so far? Awesome. Good. And uh, as you can see, uh, Alter is spelled uh, differently, not wrong, but differently. It's A-L-T-A-R and Ego. And before I go into that, I just want to let you know that this series is based off of a book called Alter Ego, imagine that, by Craig Groeschel. Uh, we would love for you guys to get a book uh, and read it for yourself and kind of go deeper into the practicals and the principles. We do have about four more, three or four more left at the back ministry counter uh, for $10 a piece, or you can go on to Amazon Smile, make sure it's Smile, because then every purchase, once you're registered, every purchase you make, a percentage of that goes to Elevation Community Church. How cool is that? So uh, please uh, feel free if you like this material and uh, God's tugging at your heart, this would be a great resource. But Alter, if you know anything about Old Testament or even history, um, the altar was where people would go to make a sacrifice, something very special or meaningful, and they would lay it at the altar to God. And still today, this is an altar in a sense. We don't do it like the Old Testament, but the altar is a symbolism of us coming and laying something down in surrender or sacrifice to God. An ego, an ego is who you think you are. It's really what you think about yourself, right? How many know people with an ego? Now, granted, we all know people with an ego. It just depends on what the ego is. Because so often, most of us, most of us, at some point or another, have an inaccurate view of ourselves. Some think too highly of themselves, while some think too lowly of themselves. It's still an ego issue, okay? And so what we're trying to do in this four-week series is we want to lay our egos, who we think we are, what people think we are, who people say we are, we want to sacrifice that, surrender that, lay that on the altar before God and become who God says you are. Would you read that, that phrase with me? One, two, three. Becoming who God says you are. I'm going to have you repeat a lot of things today. Why? Because I want it to be participatory. Because it's not just me standing up here speaking or preaching at you. It's me preaching and teaching to myself and having you guys a part of that. And so with that, if you would pull out the sermon notes that you got, hopefully with your welcome card. Uh, if you didn't get one, on the back wall in the lobby on the shelf, maybe there's some extras there. But if you could pull that out for a minute. By the way, our welcome cards are for you. It's to resource you with everything that's coming up and to connect you as best as we can. Um, so if you could take notes, if you would like, if it's something uh, that helps you retain the message better, uh, you may just have it to kind of look to later, or you may pull out your phones. Most people who have their phones, they're probably not texting. They're probably writing notes or highlighting their Bible app. But I just encourage you to find the truth 
and the applications for yourself. Because we can lead you to the altar. My purpose here on Sunday mornings is to lead you and teach you to the altar. But I cannot force you to lay it down. Nobody, even Jesus himself, will force you to lay it down. That is a choice that only you can make. So would you just pray with me real quick? God, I want my, your words to be my words. And I just surrender all control to you, God. Teach us. Push all distractions away. And Holy Spirit, have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, by faith, we decided to lay down our feelings of inadequacies. Remember that? If you weren't with us, please go online or um, download our, our Elevation Community Church app. And under the media icon, click listen. And uh, it is, it's powerful because we all struggle with feelings of inadequacy. And we're to lay down our feelings of inadequacy and start to walk in viewing that God sees us way more than we think. He sees more in us. He values us more than we think. He's given us more than we think, and it's less about us than we think. So let me ask you rhetorically, how did you do this week? How did you do? Are you starting to get it and understand and actually apply it? And you know, if you did and you saw some victories, celebrate those small victories. If you feel like you failed and you're beating yourself up, how about start back at square one and lay down your feelings of inadequacy and pick up God's grace, brush yourself off, stand up, and move forward with your eyes fixed on Jesus. Are you all with me? Okay. So this week is going to be even more fun is we're going to lay down our need for control. How many control freaks out there say, amen. (laughs) I was going to do a survey and have everyone raise their hands for those who control at least some area of their lives. But we won't do that because then you'll want the person next to you to raise their hands and then this message is actually exactly for you. Because you're trying to control the people around you. And that's something. So it's really interesting to me how almost everybody, almost every single one of us, tries to control some area of our lives. And there are some pockets that we're really, really control freaks in. But then there's some other areas that we could care less, right? We go. We, we just go with the flow. For example, some of you, here we go, ready? Some of you may be really, really controlling at work. Everything's got to be just the way you want it. But at home, you're rather laid back. Now, the person sitting next to you may be the polar opposite. At work, they just go with the flow. At home, there is a rhyme and reason for everything, Okay? If you, it could be some of you are very controlling with your finances. You need to know where every single penny goes, but when it comes to your weekend plans or your travel plans, you just ride the wave, right? And you let someone else make the plans. And if we look at our lives, honestly, 
we will find that we typically try to control two broad areas. Number one, we try to control people. We try to control people. There may be someone in your life that there's one or two things in their life that you just don't like. There's the saying that, what, God loves people. And he has such wonderful plans for their lives. And in this area, you may be acting like God. You love people and have wonderful plans for their lives. In this area, you're like God. You want to help them see what you see. You want to get them to do what you want them to do. And so you'll manipulate. You will bribe. You will try to change behavior. Because we really believe we know what's best, right? And you might even threaten. Without even knowing it, so often we try to manipulate the behavior of others because we really, really, really believe that we know what's best. And we want to control those around us. It may be coworkers. It may be your children. It may be be those who work for you. It may be your spouse. It may be people in your church. It may be your pastor. Who knows? But we want to be in control. So we control people. The second category we try to control is circumstances. Circumstances. We want to look just right. We want our houses to be just perfect. We want our kids, when they get out in public, to be the perfect representation of us in every single way. How wrong is that? We want to control our schedules and our future and the schedules of other people and other people's futures. We want to control what people think of us, don't we? And if we have been wounded in the past, this is for somebody because it was for me, if we've been wounded in the past, what do we do? We try to control and manipulate people and circumstances so no one and nothing ever hurts us again. We want to control people and we want to control circumstances. And the author of the book, Alter Ego, Craig Groeschel, said this. And why do we want to be in control? Because our ego is out of control. Now, time out real quick. We always think ego is people who are arrogant and think highly of themselves. This is also people who think lowly of themselves and have a horrible um, misrepresentation of themselves. They don't think they're worthy. They don't think they're good enough. That's ego as well. Let's not just think of those who think highly of themselves. And so it says it here. Because our ego is out of control. Because we really believe that we know what's best, that in your life, we're godlike. In your circumstances, we're godlike. Because we so know the right thing to do, that it is our right to enforce what we know should happen. And all the control freaks said, amen. Ken Blanchard, he's an author and a teacher. I've seen this guy preach. He is, wow, 
He is solid. Just, just a great man of God. And he says this. He says, ego stands for edging God out. Edging God out. So instead of laying down who we think we are and what we think should happen in our life, we edge God out. Would you say that with me so it sticks in our mind? One, two, three. We edge God out. I so know what is right that I am going to force the circumstances and the people to do what it needs to be done. And I'm going to edge God out. I don't trust God, so I'm going to edge him out. The creator of the world that holds all things together, he doesn't know how to handle my life. So I'm going to edge God out. In fact, for those of you who are control freaks, there is a verse in the Bible just for you. There is. And so it's Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. Now this, don't read ahead, this is the CFV translation. Okay? So I want you to read it with me, and I'm going to prompt you where I need you to say something. Okay? Trust in the Lord with, say that word. Let's try it again. Trust in the Lord with of your heart and lean on what? Your own understanding. In what's that word? In of your ways, acknowledge God. And what's that word? You will make your path straight. Now, if you haven't caught, the CFV is actually the control freak version. Gotcha. That is not the Bible at all, okay? Don't go in the community or on Facebook and say, Pastor Phil is a blasphemer, okay? That's not the Bible at all, but the control freaks want to make that their scripture verse. Trust the Lord with your heart, not all of it. Lean on your own understanding, because you know what's best, Right? In some of your ways, acknowledge God, and you will direct your path. Here's what the Word of God says. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with what? All your heart. Read it with me, come on. And do not lean on your own understanding. Everyone, in all your ways, acknowledge Him. Read it loud. And all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. You don't know what's best because guess what? There is a God and it's not you. And it's not me. And he has our very best in his interest. What's really interesting, Craig Groeschel goes on to say, is the more we try to control something, the more we fear losing control. How many relate? And the more we fear losing the control, the more we try to keep control. And suddenly we spiral into a cycle of fear. You see, the challenge for many of us even today is it is very difficult to see control in the mirror. It's very hard for us to see our own need for control in the mirror because we legitimately think that we know what's best. 
we're edging God out. And when we edge God out, we begin to think and believe and act like we truly know what's going on and we don't see it as control any longer. So what I want to do today, in the remaining time that we have left, I want to give you an example in the Bible of control gone bad. Okay? And then we're going to ask three simple questions that you're going to be able to take with you. That's why you have notes, but you'll be able to take with you and apply it to your life in every area and just continue to ask these three questions as you lay yourself down and you rise up in who God says you are. So let me show you a story from the Bible starting in Genesis 12. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Genesis 16 because that's where we're going to go. But the story starts in Genesis 12. And there's these two characters, they're a married couple, originally named Abram and Sarai. Their names were eventually, when God made a covenant with them and called them to who they're going to be and become, their names were changed to Abraham, what we know today, Abraham and Sarah. They had a tremendous problem. If you read through all of, Gen- uh, all of the story in Genesis, like most of us, they constantly wanted to control the outcome of certain situations. You can read one story before chapter 16 where Abram was worried about his wife Sarai when they were going to Egypt. He was very concerned, as, as Egyptians would do, they would take the wives husband and then they would do inappropriate things to her because she was already married and so he took control he did not trust God and he lied saying this woman is my sister and then bad things happened to the Egyptians and the Pharaoh finally said Abraham why did you lie and so he had to confess that he was fearful and didn't trust God that is just one example but the greatest example is when God said to them, because my view of you is way more than you think. Sound familiar? And because I have given you way more than you think, and because it's less about you than you think, I'm going to bless you, Abram and Sarai. I'm going to bless you with a son. You're going to have so many descendants, and it's going to be more than the sand on the seashore and more than the stars in the night sky and God promised this childless childless couple who for years now they were in their 90s for years could not conceive and God says you're still going to give birth to a son and there's going to be many nations born with you and of you and from you that's an incredible promise especially for their age But when God didn't immediately do what he promised and in the timeline that Abram and Sarah wanted, this couple did what so many of us do. They tried to take control of people and their circumstances and their own destiny and they edged God out and stepped over God's promises. A key teaching point right there is this, whenever we try to step into God's role, 
we step over his promises. You want God's promises for your life? Don't edge God out. Don't try to step into his role because God is God. You are not. Let God God and trust God for who he is and what he says he will do. And trust God of who he says you are and what he has given you. So whenever you step over into God's role, you step over God's promises. And so now we get to Genesis 16, verses 1 through 4. It will be on the screen, but I encourage you to read it for yourself. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne bore him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. You don't meet too many Hagars anymore. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me, even though he promised me a child. He's, you, you see the thinking already? Prevented me from bearing children. Go it into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. How crazy and silly is that? And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, Sarai then looked at Hagar with contempt. Do you see what Sarai was doing there? Sarai was basically saying, I am going to take God's promise into my own hands and make a child for our family. When they edged God out, when Abraham and Sarah edged God out, it's impossible to describe all the chaos All the chaos and hardship that taking control did. Not just in their lives, not just in their son's life, but for centuries and centuries, we are still still dealing with the chaos and destruction that happened. In fact, if you read on in the story, Hagar gave birth to a son named Ishmael. Right? And Sarah finally trusted God, and God provided a son named Isaac. And there was more tension than you would ever imagine between Sarah and Hagar and Isaac and Ishmael. And here we are centuries later, and the descendants of Ishmael, the Palestinians... And are still often at war with the descendants of Isaac, the Christians. And then you've got Isaac and Ishmael, the Christians and the Palestinians. You have all these wars over Muhammad, which comes from the lineage of Ishmael. And then you have Jesus Christ, which comes from the lineage of Isaac. You see where we're going? And here you see all this world chaos, and it traces back to this couple who decided to take control and edge God out. 
Now, chances are you are sitting here and say, I don't know a person named Hagar. What does Isaac and Ishmael and Sarah and Abraham have to do with my life? Depending on where you are in life, the people and the circumstances that you are trying to control will probably look different than the person sitting next to you. It may look different than Abraham and Sarah. You may be a single young woman, and the clock is ticking, and you love Jesus, and you want a solid Christian man. But since there is no Christian man around, you settle for just any man. And you just say, hey, he's good enough for now, right? I'll try to make this work. He'll be my mission field. And you force something that God didn't permit you to do. You compromise and you settle for something that's less than God's best. You edge God out. And you take control of your own life. Or it may be financially. Maybe financially, you're a strong follower of Jesus Christ, and you know that your tithe or your first fruits belong to God. We all know that. It's God's. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. And yet, you rationalize, and you compromise, and you take control and say, we will wait to give what is God's until we are out of debt. Or you even say, you know what? It's not going to matter. We're, not just, we're just not going to do it. There's other things that our finances can go to. And you edge God out. Or maybe there's a dream in your heart, a deep longing for something that you just want and you crave for your life and your relationship, and maybe it's even God-centered. But as time goes by and the circumstances and people in your life don't seem to go along with how you think that dream should be developed and unfold in your life, you begin to edge God out. You take the reins from God and you say, I'll take it from here, Father. And you manipulate and you walk through doors God never opened for you to walk through. And you make decisions based on what you think will be best for your life. And you edge God out and you never fulfill the dream. And if you fulfill that dream, it's probably a dream that God hasn't offered you. And in the end, it leaves you empty and further away from God's promises in your life because you stepped into God's role and stepped over his promises. Here's the big question for today. Here's the big question for today. Whenever someone says that, ears perk up. This is the question that you need to ask yourself today. And I'm asking you, if you have a pen nearby and you have your notes, I want you to write this down. If you have your cell phone nearby and you can just text yourself or write a note, I want you to do that. If you have a pen and no paper, write it on your hand. And if you have none of that, or you just want to control everything and not do what the pastor says, kidding, just sear it in your mind. But I'm really asking you to do this. Here's the question. 
And when you answer the question and write it down, I really want you to share it with somebody. It may be your family group, 222 groups. It may be someone who's sitting next to you. It may be someone after church that you just need to talk to. It could be a godly friend or a godly mentor. But part of this process is confessing it to one another. So here's the question. Here's the question. What are you trying to control? What are you trying to control? What is it in your life right now that you're trying to control? Is it people? Is it your children, your spouse, your coworkers, your employees? Maybe it's your grown children and they're not raising your grandchildren like they should be raising them. And they're not doing it right. Maybe it's your image. Maybe it's what people think about you. I I want you to go ahead and take a minute. And I'm going to stop. I'm going to take a drink of water. And I'm going to let you write that out. What is it you're trying to control? What are you trying to control? And when you identify this in your life, I want, you to give, I want to give you three questions that you can ask over and over and over and over and over again in your life that I believe will be questions that you can continue to ask over and over again that I believe will help you learn how to lay down what you're trying to control. And I know that this is a tough message for us because we want to be in control. And yet, if we want to see God's life take form and the fruit of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit to be in our lives, we need to learn to lay down our need for control. Question number one. Here's question number one. Is it worth my concern. Can you say it with me? Here we go. Is it worth my concern? One more time, everybody. Is it worth my concern? Now, everybody, is it worth my concern? We're going to read each question together. Is it worth my concern? In fact, one time when Jesus was visiting the house of house of Martha and Mary, Martha was trying to control something that in that moment didn't matter at all. She wanted everything perfect, and she's freaking out, and she's saying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. How many times do you do that? Jesus, get Mary to help me. She's lazy. She's not doing what she's supposed to do. And by the way, everything's supposed to be perfect, Jesus, because you're here. And what does Jesus say? He looks at Martha in Luke 10, verses 41 through 42, and it says, Martha, Martha, Martha. Why are you anxious and troubled about many things? One thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion, and it will not be taken away from her. What he's saying is, Martha, your concern that shouldn't concern you, but your concern is distracting you and disconnecting you from what really matters, and it's me. 
So many of us with our inflated egos, we try to control things that don't matter much at all. And in a few months, they're not going to matter a lick and many of us are going to forget them. So I would ask you, does it really, really, really matter if someone doesn't fold the laundry just right? I'm setting someone free right now this morning. You're welcome, spouse. Does it really, really matter if your wife takes your car and comes back with trash in it? Some of you guys, whoa, 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 wait a minute. It does matter. No, it doesn't. Get your panties out of a wad. Come on. It doesn't matter. Does it matter, really matter, that someone doesn't believe the way that you do and they're posting on Facebook and it's just emotionally getting you charged? Does it really matter what they think? Does it really matter that someone is having an issue with a coworker and they want you to get and you want to get involved when it doesn't involve you? Does is it really worth it? And I'll give you some of mine. My things keep moving around the house. I thought they were here, they're over here. Does it really matter that something is not where I put it? Stop touching my things. Does it matter, really, really matter when your wife and kids are always running late? Does it really matter? And this one's for my wife. Does it, not not that one, this one. Does it really matter that your son dresses himself and then goes out in public and won't let you dress him? I take him to to daycare with the craziest outfits, I tell you. Does it really matter? Does it matter? It's not a big deal. Is it worth my concern? Is it worth my concern? So this week, when you're trying to control something, ask yourself, is this really going to matter in 24 hours? In 24 hours, is this going to be worth something? Question number two. Question number two. Is it mine to control? Repeat after me. Ready? Is it mine to control? Again, is it mine to control? Last time. Is it mine to control? I want you to say these things because when you get in the car, when you go to work, when you walk into your house today after church, you need to ask these questions for yourself. How often do we just try to control and lash out and just knee-jerk reactions? We need to stop for a minute. We need to step back and ask ourselves, are we edging God out? And these questions will help. And so question number two is, is it mine to control? And the answer is yes. Sometimes. Sometimes. There's something for you to do about it. There are other times where the answer is no. It's not yours to control. Stop it. It's not yours. Because surrendering control is not the same thing as, come on, relinquishing responsibilities. 
Surrendering control doesn't mean that you just don't do anything and you stop living and you just expect God to bring the fast food home to you. You have to go to the drive-thru to get your food. For example, if you are messed up in a bad place financially, you should still cut back on your spending. Stop spending. Okay? Can you do something about it? Brian Vance says, yes, you can. Financial Peace University, it's going to start up, I'm sure, again. We have resources here for you. Cut up your credit cards. Start a budget. You can do something about it. If your marriage is in a bad place, you can do something about it. Get counseling. Find a family group that you can talk to. Find another godly couple that maybe can mentor you. There's third option in Montgomery and um, in Lebanon. There's marriage ministries. And guess what? There is a marriage resource place out at the counter with resources. You can do something about it. How about pray with your spouse? How about read a chapter a day with your spouse? You can do something about it. If you're a guy and you haven't been on a date for like seven years, do you just trust God with it and expect the dream woman to show up at your front door? you got to do something about it. Get plugged in at ECC, get in a 222 group, go to Celebrate Recovery, and get yourself right with God to be a godly man that the godly woman is waiting for and praying for. Do something about it. Take a shower, for goodness sakes. Brush your teeth. Get out and socialize. Come on. Christian mingle. I'm, I'm just saying, sell your Xbox. I'm just saying. Girls want your eyes here, not on the TV screen. <laughs> Just have fun. There are some things you can control, and there are some things you can't control, and you have to ask yourself, is it mine to control? There's going to be some things where you say, yeah, it is. I'm going to work at it with God's strength because he's given me more than I think, and I'm going to work at it. And sometimes the answer is no. Not at all. These things are not for me to control, and I have to lay it down. James 4, verse 13 through 14, shows us very clearly that there are some things out of our control. It says here, look here. You who say today or tomorrow we will go in such a, such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a myth that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What you're trying to say is you think you can iron everything out. You can plan it all out. You just know exactly what's going to happen. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. So you ask yourself, is it worth my concern and is it mine to control? And the third and final question is, is it for God alone? Is it for God alone? Say it with me. Is it for God alone? One more time. Is it for God alone? This is a big one. 
Because if it is for God alone, then we need to learn to lay it down and trust that God knows best. And stop edging God out. But how about exalt God only? Stop edging God out, but exalt God only. There's a verse in Philippians chapter 4 that has been my verse seriously for almost 25 years. Because I have had major anxiety issues in my life that were caused by me trying to control circumstances and people. What does this say? Do not be anxious about say it. Anything. But in say it, everything. Yeah. Every situation. By prayer and petition with, what's that word? Thanksgiving. Hear me. You cannot be in a constant state of thanksgiving and be in a state of anxiety. It can't happen. When you have a mindset of gratitude and thankfulness, anxiety cannot enter in until you drop the thanksgiving and you worry about something that isn't worth it and it's not yours to control and all of a sudden it's like a vacuum you're sucked into anxiety and worry and concern and fear and it says and present your request to god and the peace of god which transcends it or passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in christ jesus When you're anxious, you're trying to control something that's not yours to control. But it says, in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart. In other words, like this uh, teaching point says, when you try to control something you can't control, you will have anxiety. And I know many of us, Struggle with this. And you need to ask yourself, what am I trying to control that's not mine to control that is causing me anxiety? Where am I edging God out? Because when you give it to God and you trust God and you lay it down before God, you have peace. You have peace that passes all understanding, which will guard your heart, by the way, and your mind. So where do you need to let things go? You see, when you surrender it to God, he gives you peace. So let me ask you a few application questions, and then we're going to be done. A few application questions. Ready? Can you change your spouse? Okay, some of you, it's not a trick question. Can you change your spouse? No. No, you cannot. You can love your spouse. You can pray for your spouse. You can encourage your spouse. You can be fully committed to your spouse. But you can't change your spouse. So what do you do if your spouse needs changing? Good question. You love them. You pray for them. You don't control them. You love them. You pray for them. You give them to God. Can you heal a sick loved one? Can you heal a sick loved one? No. No, you can't. It's out of your control. That's not yours to control. It's God's. 
And will God even heal that person in the physical? We don't know. What can you do? Well, you can control the way that you pray for them. You can visit them. You can encourage them. You can worship with them. You can encourage them to seek strong medical advice. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. Can you control your future? Or can you control even the future of your children? No! You can't! But what you can do is you can pray. You can plan. You can model it. You can give wise counsel. You can make wise decisions. Does God control the future? Absolutely. Then the answer is yes. And so what do you do? You surrender it to God. And here's the thing, the final picture. Is remember that guy Abraham we talked about? That control freak? What did he want more than anything? Say it. A son. What did God promise him and give him? A son. And what did God ask him to lay down and sacrifice? His son. Can you even imagine God asking you to truly sacrifice and kill your child to prove that you're not edging God out and to trust God knowing that he will work everything out according to his purposes? So he's walking up the hill. I see Abraham holding his son's hand and Isaac says, hey, Daddy, where's the animal we're going to sacrifice? And he looks at his son, who he loves more than anything in the world, and he says, God will provide. So he builds the altar, and he lays his son that he waited for years for. And he lifts up the knife, ready to pierce his son's chest. And the angel says, stop. God has seen that you will not withhold anything from him. And Abraham lifted his eyes and he looked in the bush over there by the altar and there was a ram stuck in the thicket. And he named that altar and that mountain. The Lord will provide. When Abraham finally surrendered control of that which he wanted most, he saw the miraculous provision of God. When we stopped edging God out, but instead start exalting God only, we surrender what we value most. And then the peace of God passes all understanding. As the band comes up, I, uh, actually we're going to show a video. I apologize. We're going to show a video uh, as we... Prepare for communion. And I've asked some of the students to pass out communion. I think it's very fitting today as we talk about laying down our need for control to pursue God in communion. So where are you? I'm here to tell you that when you fully trust that God is your provider and He knows more than you do and He's higher than you do, You are. And his ways are higher, so much higher than your ways, and his thoughts more than your thoughts. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. 
And if you can truly trust and trust him, trust who you think you are and who others say you are, and you can lay it down trusting that God is greater and knows more and will have your best interest in mind, then you can truly lay down anxiety. Anxiety has gripped so many of you. And it's time to stop edging God out and start living a life that exalts Him only. Because when you do that, you will have peace that passes all understanding. Lay it down. Lay it down. Is it worth my concern? Is it mine to control? And is it God's alone? If you would just bow your heads. We're going to play a song as the communion elements are passed out. And I would like for you to hold the bread, the cup in your hands, and we will take it together. But I do want to say this. So please hear me. Communion is for those who say that Jesus paid it all for their sin. And Jesus is Lord of their lives. And they are following Christ with everything. It is also for those who know that they have sinned, but know that they are forgiven and have asked the Lord for forgiveness and repented. Because we know in Scripture it says if you, t- if you take the bread and the cup and you're harboring bitterness and hatred towards God, yourself, or others, don't take communion. And so this is for everyone who calls themselves saved by grace. And maybe you never have been able to say that for yourself, but today you believe that Jesus is enough. And you know that God is drawing you to himself and all you have to say is, Jesus, I believe you are my Savior and I ask you to take over and I ask you to be Lord of my life. Forgive my sins. Cover me and wash me. And help me be like you. And you can take communion. It's because it's remembering what he did for us. You see, he didn't take control. He laid it all down. And so shall we. Let's listen to this, watch this video. And pass out the elements. There's a scripture that will be on the screen. Philippians 2. Philippians 2. Hopefully, if not, I think I know it. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, that though he was found in the the form of, excuse me, let me try that again. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. What you're holding in your hands is a symbolism of what he did. He emptied himself. He became a servant. 
he humbled himself. He was found in a human form. You had the right slide. Go ahead. (laughs) By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Stop there. He became a servant and he laid down all control. Even though he was God, he could have called 10,000 angels from on high. Yet he chose to take my place. He chose to lay it all down. So as we take the bread, let us receive what he laid down for us. And as we take the cup, let us remind that it is his blood that was shed for us that cleanses all sin, cleanses every time that we've tried to edge God out and control Him. It cleanses us. It removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Let's take the cup. And now the last part of Philippians 2. Would you read it with me? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So then at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You can pass your cups to the sides and uh, if there's a basket, go ahead and lay it down. If not, just lay it on the floor gently. The band's going to worship. I'd ask you to be seated for a little bit and just let it wash over you, okay? Thirsty, I'm thirsty for you. In a dry land. 